Chapter Three of the Exploits of Juve by Marcella Lane and Pierre Suvestra. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three Behind the Curtain. The Cite Frochot is shut in by low stone walls, topped by grating round which creepers intertwine. The entry to its main thoroughfare, shaded by trees and lined with small private houses, is not supposed to be public, and a porter's lodge to the right of the entrance is intended to enforce its private character. It was about seven in the evening. As the fine spring day drew to a close, Fandor reached the square of the Cité. For an hour past, the journalists had been wholly engaged in keeping track of the famous Lupart, who, after leaving the saloon, had sauntered up the Rue de Martyrs, his hands in his pockets, and a cigarette in his mouth. Fandor allowed him to pass at the corner of the Rue Claude, and from there on kept him in view. Juve had completely disappeared. As Lupard, followed by Fandor, was about to enter the Cité Frochot, an exclamation made them both turn. Fandor perceived a poorly dressed man anxiously searching for something in the gutter. A curious crowd had instantly collected, and word was passed round that the lost object was a twenty-five-franc gold piece. Fandor joined the crowd, was pushed close to the man, who quickly whispered, Idiot, keep out of the city. The owner of the gold piece was no other than the detective. Then, under cover of loud complaint, Juve muttered to Fandor, Let him go. Watch the entrance to the city. But, objected Fandor in the same key, what if I lose sight of him? No fear of that. The doctor's house is the second on the right. The hooligan, who had for a moment drawn near the crowd, was now heading straight for the cité. Juve went on. In a quarter of an hour, at the latest, join me again, 27 Rue Victor Massé. And if Lupart should enter the city in the meantime? Come straight back to me. Fandor was moving off when Juve addressed him out loud. Thank you, kind gentleman, but as you are so charitable, give me something more, for God's sake. The other drew near the pretended beggar, and Juve added, If anyone questions you as you pass through, say you are going to Umarai, the decorators. You'll find me on the stairs. Some moments later the little crowd had melted away, and a policeman, arriving as usual too late, wondered what had been going on. Fandor carried out Juve's instructions to the letter. Hiding behind a sentry box, he kept an eye on the doctor's house, but nothing out of the way happened. Lupard had vanished, although he was probably not far away. When the fifteen minutes were up, Fandor left his post and entered number 27, Rue Victor Massé. As he reached the third floor, he heard Juve's voice. Is that you, lad? Yes. The porter didn't question you? I've seen no one. All right, come up here. Juve was seated at a hall window, examining Dr. Shalek's house through a field glass. You've not seen Lupart go in? He inquired as Fandor joined him. Not while I was on watch. It's well to know one's Paris and have friends everywhere, isn't it? Continued Juve. It occurred to me quite suddenly that this might be an excellent place from where to follow Citizen Lupart's doings. You would have spoiled everything if you had followed him into the city. That's why I devised my little scheme to hold you back. You're right, admitted Fandor, who the next moment gave a jump as Juve's hand gripped him hard. Look, Fandor, 
The bird is going into the cage. The journalist, excited, saw a figure already familiar to him in the act of slipping into the little garden which separated Dr. Shallock's house from the main thoroughfare. The detective went on. There he goes, skirting the house until he reaches the little door hidden in the wall. What's he up to now? Ah, he's fumbling in his pocket. False keys, of course. They saw Lupard open the door and make his way into the house. What comes next? inquired Fandor. We are going to tighten the net which the silly bird has hopped into, rejoined Juve as he bolted down the stairs and added as a precautionary measure, while I question the porter, you slip by me into the main street. I have every reason to believe that Monsieur Chaleck has been absent for two days, and as soon as I get this information, I shall pretend to go away, and then the rest is my concern. Juve's program was carried out on all points. To his questions, the porter replied, Why, sir, I can't really say. I saw Dr. Shallot go off with his bag, and I haven't seen him come back. However, if you care to see for yourself... No, thanks, replied Juve. I'll return in a few days. But look out, your lamp's flaring. As the porter turned to remedy the trouble, Juve, instead of going off to the right, quickly followed the direction Fandor had taken, and caught up with the ladder just outside Dr. Shallock's house. Now for our plan of campaign, he said. It's darker now than it will be later when the street lamps are lit and the moon rises. That excellent Josephine sent me a rough plan of the house. You see there are two windows on the ground floor on either side of the hall. Naturally, they belong to the dining room and drawing room. The window to the right on the first floor is evidently that of the bedroom. On the left, this window of the balcony belongs to the study of our dealer in death. That's where we must plant ourselves. Understand, Fandor? The journalist nodded. I understand. The two men advanced carefully, holding their breath and halting at every step. To catch the ruffian in the act, they must reach the study without giving the alarm. The first story of Dr. Shallock's house was only slightly raised above the ground. By the aid of a drain pipe, Juve and Fandor managed without difficulty to hoist themselves onto the balcony. Here's luck, cried Juve. The study window is wide open. After putting on a pair of rubbers and making Fandor remove his boots, the two men entered the room. Juve's first precaution was to test the two halves of the window. Finding that their hinges did not creak, he fastened the latch and drew the curtains. We'll risk a light, he whispered taking out a pocket lamp, which lit up the room sufficiently to allow him to take bearings. The study was elegantly furnished. In the middle was a huge desk piled with papers, reports, and files. To the right of the desk, in the corner opposite the window and half hidden by a heavy velvet curtain, was the door leading to the landing. A large corner sofa occupied the space of two wall panels. A set of bookshelves covered a whole wall, here and there, cozy armchairs invited meditation. I don't see the famous safe, murmured Fandor. That's because your eyes aren't trained, replied the detective. Look at that corner sofa, topped by that richly carved bracket. Observe the thick appearance of the delicate mahogany panel. You may be quite sure that it hides a solid steel casket, which the best tools would have no easy job to cut through. That little molding you see to the right can be easily pushed aside. Here Juve, with the precision of an expert, set the woodwork in motion 
and showed the astonished Fandor a scarcely visible keyhole. Now let's put out the lights and hide ourselves behind the curtains. Luckily they are far enough from the window for our presence not to be noticed. For about an hour the men remained motionless. Then, weary of standing, they squatted on the floor. Each had his revolver ready to hand. Tin had just struck from a distant clock when suddenly a slight sound reached their attentive ears. The two had whiled away the time of waiting by drilling the curtains with a small penknife. These holes were invisible at a distance, but enabled them to see what was going on in the room. The noise continued, slow and measured. Someone was walking about in the adjacent rooms without any attempt to disguise the sound. Evidently, Lupard believed himself quite alone in the house of the absent doctor. The steps drew nearer, and Fandor, in spite of his courage, felt a rapid beating of his heart. The handle of the door leading from the hall to the study was turned, and some person entered the room. There was an instant of silence, and then the desk was suddenly lit up. The newcomer had found the switch, but he was not Lupard. He seemed a man of forty, and wore a brown beard, brushed fan-shape. A noticeable baldness heightened his forehead. On his strongly arched nose a double eyeglass was balanced. Suddenly, having looked at the clock, which marked half-past eleven, he began to loosen his tie and unbutton his waistcoat, and then went out, leaving the study lit as if intending to come back. "'It's Shalek!' exclaimed Fandor. "'Just so,' replied the detective. "'And this complicates matters.' we may have to protect him as well as his safe. Indeed, Jou's first impulse was to go straight to Dr. Shalek, apprise him of the situation, and, under his guidance, search the house thoroughly. But that would have put Lupard on the alert. He would be taking too great a chance. If Jou should lay hands on him outside of Shalek's house, he would have no right to hold him. For the subtle power of Lupard, that well-loved hooligan of the purlieus of Paris, lay in his remaining constantly a source of fear, always a suspect, without ever being caught with the goods. Coming back to his first idea of ensuring Shalek's safety, Juve said to himself, The doctor is coming back here, that's sure, and we must protect him without his knowing it. That is the best plan for the present. Sure enough, after an absence of ten minutes, Shalek returned to the study and seated himself at his desk. He had now changed into his pajamas. Time passed. When the little empire timepiece which decorated the mantel struck three, Fandor, for all his anxiety, could not repress a yawn. The night was long, and thus far had been devoid of incidents. From their hiding place he and Juve kept an eye on Dr. Shalek. When did the man sleep? Nothing in the physician's countenance betrayed the slightest weariness. He examined numerous documents spread out on his desk, and also wrote a letter which he sealed by lighting a candle and melting some wax. He lingered a good twenty minutes afterwards, then finally put out the lights and left the room. The room was now in total darkness. The journalist and the detective listened a few moments longer as a precaution, but nothing happened to break the hush of the waning night. Half an hour more, and the outlines of the two would be visible on the thin curtains. It was high time to be off. Fandor and Juve rose with difficulty to their feet, so cramped were their legs from the enforced rigidity. "'What now?' asked Fandor. "'Listen!' Juve abruptly gripped the other's arm as a fresh noise came to their ears. This time it was not the footsteps of a man walking carelessly, but weird creakings, sly gropings. 
The noise stopped, began again, and again stopped. Where did it come from? This room is a mass of hangings, muttered Juve. It's impossible to locate those sounds or determine their origin. You would suppose, began Fandor, but he stopped short. The door had opened, the light was switched on, and Dr. Shallock appeared once more, probably disturbed in his sleep by the mysterious noises. Shallock gave a quick glance round the room, and then, to the consternation of the two men, he took a few steps toward the window, revolver in hand. At this moment, dull creakings were heard, apparently coming from the landing. Shallock turned quickly, and leaving the door open, went out. An increase of light indicated that the other rooms in the house were being searched, and as the lights were gradually switched off again, it was apparent that Shallock was concluding his domiciliary visit without having noticed anything abnormal. The two remained still for an hour longer although they had heard Shallot go back to his room and lock himself into it. Meanwhile, the daylight was growing brighter, and in a little while the neighborhood would be awake. We must slip out, decreed Juve, as he turned the hasp of the window with infinite care and set it ajar to reach the balcony. A few moments later, Juve had shed his disguise, and the two men drew breath in the middle of the police pigal, having fled ignominiously like common criminals. End of chapter 3